With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome to the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast about the Kansas City Royals, hosted by some absolute weirdo on the internet who goes by Lux. That's me. Good to hear from you all again. Hope you're enjoying your Labor Day or enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. I kind of did. I had a nice day yesterday where I uh, I was actually working a lot Saturday night because I work overnight like a like an absolute fiend, like an absolute goblin. And uh, I, I worked so much that I already got to my 40-hour necessity. So I decided I'm going to take Sunday off. And then I uh, chugged a few... Uh, what do they call these things? Hard sodas? Yeah, they're literally sodas, but they've got alcohol in them. And they're freaking great. So I had a few of those and ordered Wingstop and watched Lycoris Recoil while also watching the Royals. Yeah, I, I, I watch the Royals sometimes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a lot of fun to watch <laughs> sometimes. And that was a nice, wonderful day. Then I slept for like 12 hours because... Uh, I don't get enough sleep on normal circumstances, so that's why I gave myself an extra day off work, so I could sleep a little more. Yeah, now I feel refreshed, recharged, ready to face another wonderful week. And hopefully the Royals are as well, because the Royals had a nice, fairly productive and successful weekend. They were able to win the series against the Detroit Tigers. They took two games out of three, and we can at least hope for that, right? You know, lots of things have gone wrong for the Royals this season, but maybe at least we can get one over on another team that is struggling, another team that's kind of having a, a season in hell, and that's what we did. So yeah, we were excited to go into this Detroit series thinking, hey, a team we can finally beat, <laughs> a team that is about at our level. They're actually, um, I would consider the Tigers to be like the the opposite of the Royals, even though they're also in the basement. They're also losing. But the way they've gotten there has been like the exact opposite because they did sell in 2017, unlike the Royals, which everyone says they should have. Uh, except me, I I still think that was what 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 we did was fine. Okay, <laughs> the the Matt Strom trade was good. Okay, but what I mean is that this team is basically the opposite of the Royals, where the Royals have had massive struggles with their pitching development, but their lineup has been pretty exciting. You're seeing something kind of forming, kind of developing right there. Lots of really exciting prospecting hitters. In that lineup. Meanwhile, the Tigers, their lineup is abysmal. Probably the worst lineup in baseball. Although I don't know, Miami, yeah, that 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 one that one's kind of bad. But they've been able to um, scrape together a, a fairly decent season with their pitching staff. Believe it or not, and that's actually despite the fact that they've had some huge, massive injury struggles, most notably Casey Mize, who was supposed to be 
pretty much their ace by this point, but he went out with Tommy John pretty much instantly when the season started. Also, Tarek Skubal, who's another one of their young, exciting pitchers, he's also out. I don't know what the deal with is with him. I don't know what the deal is with all their particular pitchers, but yeah, they've just had pitchers going out one after another, and so their rotation is just a bunch of guys who are like, who? But they still have a team ERA of 4.1 overall. They're actually, like, fairly respectable as a pitching team. But that lineup, man, that lineup is bad. In fact, um, I want you to uh, just kind of guess. Who, who do you think is leading the Detroit Tigers in war? Who is it? I mean, we talked a lot about how they have some pretty decent pitchers. Do you know who's leading them? Believe it or not, it's actually not a pitcher. It's Javi Baez. Javi Baez and his 86 OPS plus is leading the Detroit Tigers in war. That is their best player. Um, that's unfortunate. Although Riley, Riley Green is a fairly exciting hitter. And he's having an, pretty much an average season. Basically a very Bobby Witt Jr.-like season. And that's something we're going to talk about in a bit. But in any case, let's recap these games that happened in uh, the, the great north of Detroit, you know, the most exciting place in America. Game one, the Royals were defeated by a score of 4-5. to five. So the Tigers actually won the first game, and that was fairly disappointing. Daniel Lynch was pitching on Friday, and he only went five innings and gave up four earned runs. And it was a pretty good start until it wasn't, because in the fifth, he gave up a solo home run, and that was, you know, eh. And then immediately after, he gets, he gets two walks, and then box. So just completely unravels there. Gives up a sack fly to, you know, hopefully limit the damage. But then Javi Baez, you know, our, our, our boy right there, who we were just talking about, hits a two-run home run. So all in one inning, just in a few batters. It goes from a pretty good Daniel Lynch start to a very bad Daniel Lynch start. And that's, you know, we, we often compare Daniel Lynch to Danny Duffy. And that is a very Danny Duffy start right there. Danny Duffy is someone who would always go four scoreless and then one thing goes wrong and then it's suddenly it's a six-run inning for the other team. That is exactly what happened right there. He makes one mistake and then he is just noticeably rattled and it just cannot come out of that. I swear, Dan Dan Daniel Lynch is one good pitching coach away, a brand new pitching coach away from just having it all together. He, you know, the talent is there. It really is. It, we just need someone to help draw it out. We help, We need someone to, you know, like maybe if we had a pitching coach that could come out and, you know, calm him down and help him work through a game plan, maybe we won't have a, a big bad inning like that. And maybe Lynch won't be so susceptible to mistakes like that. Because that's another thing with Lynch this season. You know, he, he, he has really great pitches, but then there's just that one mistake pitch that goes over the fence that really costs him. So... Uh, I guess this was, a, this was a pretty normal, average Daniel Lynch start. It was exciting until it became a massive disappointment. 
The Bats were able to keep up with the Tigers, so they ended up tying the game in the sixth inning to keep it at four runs apiece. And that's partially due to Kyle Isbell. He had a nice two-hit game. He scored in the second inning. And then in the sixth, Michael A. Taylor hit a two-run home run. And this is something that I actually want to highlight. Michael A. Taylor had a really, really good series. We're kind of getting ahead here. But Michael A. Taylor, over the course of this Tigers series, would go 6-13. and or I'm, I'm sorry, that's not how it goes. He he went 6-4-13. Overall, like a 4-70-something average. He had a two doubles and a home run, so that's the one home run he hit. Yeah, he had a really good series, and it's funny that I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to completely contradict what I was saying in last week's episode, the last episode where I was really complaining about Michael A. Taylor, and I'm like, oh man, he's been hitting so bad. Actually, for his last 15 games, he's been hitting 288 with a 333 on base and a 508 slugging. He's actually been hitting the ball pretty hard and pretty well. So maybe the rumors of Michael A. Taylor's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Maybe he can actually finish the season pretty strong and kind of get back on track for with what he was building in the first half. And that could really drive up the value because, like I said on Friday, I am very, very confident that Michael A. Taylor is going to be traded in this offseason. He only has one year left on his contract, and we have a lot of young guys that should be playing the outfield that we hope to be, you know, the future. We, we think we have someone who can replace Michael A. Taylor, basically. So kind of looking forward to that. And if he can get his value up and be a more valuable trade piece, then that can probably bring back something really, really nice for the Royals. So he came up big for us there, helped tie the game, but unfortunately the bullpen would end up blowing it. Uh, Carlos Hernandez came out and gave up a walk and a hit, only recorded one out overall. And then Jose Quas came in, which is questionable at best because Jose Quas has been awful in high leverage situations all year. Like, like, Jose Quas is, I, I don't even think he's a bad reliever. Like, I actually like Jose Quas, and I think he does have some value, but he is not a high-leverage guy. He cannot be coming in in usually a close game and not with runners on base. He cannot hold inherited runners. And indeed, he gave up a hit, which ultimately scored someone, and that ended up being the game-winning run for the Tigers. Although, granted... It was a pitch that was like a foot off the plate. I don't know why it was even swung at, and then it was hit, and it was just like, uh, 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 okay then. Plus, it was Harold Castro. It was like, literally, who? Who, who is this guy, and how dare he make a, a good hit like that? Ridiculous. Obnoxious. So I, I am a little bit salty, but at the same time, still, Jose Quas probably shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to put that on Quas and Matheny. Overall, that was game one. It was one of the games of all time. That's just kind of what I said about that. Not a whole lot to say about it. Comparatively, game two was like winning game seven of the World Series and how fun and exciting it was because the Royals defeated the Tigers by a score of 12-2. to two. It was a massive offensive explosion, and starting off with that, like before we even get to the bats, Jonathan Heasley went seven innings and gave up only two earned runs. He didn't have an, an impressive start, I would say. Only two strikeouts, two walks, and eight hits, 
So it's not like he he dominated. It's not like he shoved. This is not a very but it, you know it's not a very good lineup. You know so you have to kind of hold back on the praise and be like, all right, you know, <laughs> like good job, but also look at what you had to deal with. Still. I'm still going to give a little bit of praise to Jay Heasy because going seven innings in any start is good. Like that, the, the the line overall, seven innings, two earned runs, you'll take that from any team. Doesn't matter. And especially since we've had to use up the bullpen a little bit more than maybe we would like to because, you know, the day before Daniel Lynch only went five innings. We've seen like five inning starts coming back uh, a lot for the Royals rotation recently. So going a little bit deep into a game like that is really, really valuable. I know we do have a, an off day coming up this week, so it's not we're kind of out of the, the long stretches of the season. Now for basically the rest of the season, we're going to have an off day. And then we're going to have about six games and then another off day. And it's just going to repeat basically until the end of the season. We're in the final stretch. So bullpen overwork probably isn't going to be a huge issue going forward. But still, really nice to see someone going seven innings. And then White Mills came in, got the last two innings through two scoreless and got three strikeouts. So he had a nice little outing. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about Wyatt Mills overall. He's just kind of uh, here and I don't know, he, he might not be here next year, but good job on Saturday, dude. But the bats really came to life in this game. The Royals got 12 runs off of 15 hits. Michael A. Taylor, Nick Prado, and MJ Melendez all had two-hit games, and they overall contributed to six of those runs. Nick Prado had a solo home run in the first, which is nice and exciting, but arguably not as exciting as Bobby Witt Jr.'s three-run blast, which officially put him in the 2020 club. Bobby Witt Jr., our boy, our golden boy, has 20 home runs on the season with 20 or more stolen bases. As a matter of fact, he has 26 stolen bases. The Royals have not had a 2020 player since uh, Franchi in, uh, what was it, 2012 when he did that? And uh, look, Franchi was all right. He was fun. People like him. But uh, not the most storied player. I think is a respectable way to put it. Instead, seeing Bobby Witt Jr. doing that, that's really fun. That's really exciting. You know, I mentioned 2017 a moment ago. Witt Merrifield came very, very close to being in the 2020 club that year. When Witt, Witt's first full season in the majors, he had exactly 19 home runs. I was really excited to see him be a 2020 player because the stolen bases were always there. And he had like, what, 35 stolen bases that season? But he finished with just 19 home runs. And that was... It was a little disappointing. And he never had a season like that ever again. I mean, he had some better seasons, arguably, for the next couple of years. But he never hit home runs that frequently. And, you know, maybe you can thank the juiced ball for that or whatever. So that ended up being a career high for Whit Merrifield. You kind of knew he wasn't going to, you know, probably get there ever again in terms of power. But with Bobby Whit Jr., it doesn't even seem like it was that hard for him. It really does not seem like Bobby Wood Jr. 
had to work super hard to, to reach 20 home runs. And maybe to an extent, he really didn't. Because remember that he had a really bad start to the season. Like back in April, I mean, you saw people, you know, just random people on social media probably. I don't think any significant Royals media person was like really calling for this. But people were like, oh, he's a bust. He needs to go down to AAA. He can't hit the major league level and stuff like that. You know, and, and you know, uh, whatever, right? But then May comes around, and pretty much immediately at the start of the month, he hits his first home run. He hit his he hit his first home run on May third, and that was nice and exciting. So think about that. You take away an entire month of the season, and he still reached twenty home runs, and we still have a month left to go. So yeah, that's one hundred four games that Bobby Witt Jr. has played overall, and he has twenty home runs in that span. I'm uh, not entirely sure what that would translate to in a full 162-game pace. I can't really do the math on that quickly. I'm not entirely sure how it works. But we'll add 50% to both of them and, you know, add 50% games, 50 games and 10 home runs. So there you go. He's easily a 30-home run hitter. So 30-30 club on the way. We're going to get a 30-30 season with Bobby Wood Jr. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited for that. Hell yeah. Again, I don't think it's hard. Like, I think that this season we're seeing a floor being established with Bobby Wood Jr. And we're going to talk about him a little bit more later on because there's kind of a section uh, dedicated to Bobby Wood Jr. that I want to talk about. So we'll put that aside for now. But very exciting to see Bobby reach that threshold, reach that milestone at this point. Because, you know, it's his first season. So, yeah, this is his first 20 home run season. Yeah, that's a milestone. Good job. Anyway, that might have actually not been the most exciting home run of the game. If you can believe that. I know, right? Like, that would be crazy. How can someone hit an even more exciting home run. Oh, I actually forgot to mention that MJ Melendez also had a home run of his own. Yeah, there was so much there was so much that happened in this game. There were so many scores and so many home runs that uh you, I I completely forgot. So, I'm sorry, MJ. But anyway, the most exciting hit of the whole game and one of the most exciting hits of the whole season was Kyle Isbell hitting a grand slam in the 5th inning. It was a weird one, kind of a strange one. I I I think it went into like a a small indent in the wall or it hit off the pole or something like that. It was a strange home run, but it counts. And you know what? You might as well count it because, you know, you want to say, oh, Mickey Mouse home run. Comerica Park is freaking deep, okay? Like that, there's, their center field is like 430 feet or something ridiculous like that, all right? It's, it's even more pitcher friendly than Kaufman is. But Izzy put one over and put four runs on the board, and that is super fun, super happy for him. Uh, Kyle Isbell is someone that I've kind of harped on a lot as someone who I think might either be expendable or someone who I might not think has a very high ceiling. But also at the same time, I feel a little bit bad for him because he just doesn't get a whole lot of opportunities with this team for some reason. I don't know if anyone knows the reason. Maybe the almighty spreadsheet just says no. The spreadsheet seems to say play Hunter Dozier every single day as well, so I don't know how much I trust this uh, this you know magical spreadsheet that Mike Matheny has. But well, at least in this case, Michael, uh, not Michael, uh, Kyle Isbell, you know, came up big for us, and that's really fun, it's really exciting. And even then, even despite that, 
These guys that we've been talking about so far might not have even been the most productive hitters of that night. Instead, that honor goes to Nate Eaton. Nate was eating Tigers all night long. He went four for five with two RBIs. So that's where those, you know, MAT, MJ, and Prado had six home had six RBIs. Uh, Isbell had four. The last two came from Nate Eaton, who got a nice double in the seventh inning and scored two runs. But yeah, he went four for five. And uh, even got a little bit of time at third base. He got a couple innings or so late in the game as a nice replacement, which I, I kind of uh, like completely forgot about this, but Nate Eaton does play third base. Um, he actually does. He, he has a lot of time at third base in the minors, so he could be viable as a third base replacement at the very least because a, as things are right now, we're a little bit... Um, unsure as to who is going to be the third baseman long-term with the Royals, which kind of goes hand-in-hand with the shortstop, like who's the the, the shortstop long-term. It it depends on what we feel about Bobby Witt Jr. at this point. He could be either one of those, but yeah, Nate Eaton does have some time at third base, so that was kind of cool to see. He does have the arm for it, which makes a lot of sense. You know, Nate Eaton is actually a... Fangraphs actually gave him an 80 on his arm. They, they, they say his arm is top of the scale. So it'll play in any outfield position. But um, overall, Nate Eaton is just a really, really great defender. And we have seen that already in the major leagues this season with him. So he's also someone who is establishing a nice floor for himself where it seems like the floor is that he's going to be a bench player. He'll be a a fourth outfielder or a third baseman uh, substitute late into games. But if he can get his bat going, if he can be a slightly productive hitter, then, yeah, there you go. I mean, just think about Michael A. Taylor. Think about what we've been saying with Michael A. Taylor, where his defense is just so great. He can fit on a roster. If he can just get his back going a little bit, then there you go. You have a productive regular on your hands. And that's uh, kind of uh, where Nate Eaton is at right now. We're, we're, we're looking at him as a potentially, hopefully, future a role player in some sort of way. Is it going to be a regular? Is it going to be on the bench? I don't know, but Nate Eaton definitely has a future with this team. So him going four for five is super fun, super exciting. Really fun game overall. And then we had the game on Sunday, which was overall pretty quiet, but the Royals won by a score of three to two. And it was uh, was mostly just a game, just kind of was something. Uh, Max Castillo was our pitcher. He came back after uh, spending a couple weeks in the minors. It was actually a very interesting thing that I didn't even know about, um, and I wouldn't have known if not for, uh, I think it was Ann Lacey who uh, mentioned it on Twitter, but when you send someone down, when you option a player, you actually have to wait, I think, 15 days before bringing him back up so that you can't just constantly send a guy up and send a guy down. Did did, did the Royals do something to uh, (laughs) enforce this rule so that uh, this rule could be made? I'd like to think uh, maybe it's our fault with how we treated Edward Olivares last season. 
But in any case, so, you know, people were asking, like, oh, where's Max Castillo? Where's that one guy who pitched a good game against the Rays a couple weeks ago? Where is he Where is he when we need uh, more starting pitchers? And it's like, that's, that's why he wasn't up sooner. So he got to start on Sunday. He only went 4.2 innings, gave up two earned runs. I kind of would have liked seeing him just pitch the fifth because... Why not? But I don't know. Mike Matheny, I guess, just decided that it, it's not necessary and winning this game is much more important at this point for whatever reason. But I guess we have a rested enough bullpen to uh, to handle that. So Colin Snyder came out, threw one pitch and got one out, which is just something he does. It's all right. Good for him. Jose Quas came in, and this time he didn't blow the game because he had a clean inning, so... He got a walk and a hit, but it doesn't matter. Scoreless inning overall. Good job to him. Then Amir Garrett came out, and he got two outs and walked a guy and then was pulled because Javi Baez was hitting, and Mike Matheny just hates fun. We just have to have the most lame and boring manager of all freaking time. We just cannot have this completely meaningless battle that, like, like, look, Amir Garrett versus Javi Baez, who cares? Both of these guys suck. They're, it's not interesting to see this fight. But at the same time, it's something, and both of these teams really deserve something interesting to happen. Because both of these teams are freaking awful, and they've been super disappointing, and we're all miserable. We should just let the two fight, or something. Whatever it is they need to get done. Just let it happen. No, Mike Matheny is just the most anti-fun person in the galaxy, he said no, so we can't have that. For the second time this season, Javi Baez went up to bat and Amir Garrett got pulled. Yay. Fantastic. So instead, Dylan Coleman came out and got a four-pitch hold. Good for him. I don't, I don't know if it was actually a hold. Whatever. Doesn't matter. And then Scott Barlow came out and pitched the ninth. So we kind of had the A-list bullpen in this game, although it might seem weird to say that uh, Colin Snyder and Jose Quas are like part of the, the A-list bullpen, but I mean, I like Coleman and I like Barlow a lot. Those are our two reliable pitchers. Like That's someone that you can actually count on in the 8th and ninth innings, and those are guys who can come up in high-leverage situations, which this kind of was, I guess, because it was a close game. I mean, it's hard to think of any Royals Tigers game as a high leverage situation at any point, but yeah, still they got the job done. So good job to all of them. So overall, the bullpen really helped carry an otherwise kind of eh, whatever forgettable start from Max Castillo, and the offense was disappointing. Kind of thanks to Hunter Dozier leaving the entire population of Lee's Summit on base, although it's not entirely him. Um, MJ Melendez had a really nice walk. We were, we were out on the fourth inning was looking really nice. Okay. Here's exactly how it played out. Michael A. Taylor got a single. He gets on base. Michael Nasty gets hit by a pitch. So he gets on base. Hunter Dozier takes a couple of pitches and then flies out to the first baseman. Awesome. Great job, dude. Then Drew Waters gets a walk, he fouls a couple pitches off, but then overall stares at four more to get on base, and remember when we were talking about Drew Waters and how, you know, this guy had a had a big uh, discipline problem at the plate when he was with the Braves, then he comes to the Royals and doubles his walk weight rate instantly, and we're already seeing that in the majors, well, there's another example of that, of him drawing a nice walk right there, and then Nicky Lopez singles, 
So great, that's a that's a run scored, and then MJ Melendez comes up and he manages to get an RBI walk with nine pitches after fouling off five times. He did not swing and miss one time. He got five fouls and then watched four pitches just go right by. And that's overall a nice RBI walk. MJ Melendez is just... His his plate appearances are the best on the team. And this is why I've always been saying MJ Melendez should be playing the outfield more because I want this guy to be getting more at-bats. If he's a catcher... You're taking away like a hundred at bats from him all season in a full season. But if you pl- if you can play him in the outfield, you can actually play him more regularly, and you can actually use him as the leadoff spot for more games. And I really do think that is going to make a difference in this team. So MJ Melendez, fantastic! It was awesome. So that's an RBI walk, and we still have the bases loaded. And then Bobby Witt Jr. flies out on the first pitch, like. Read the room, dude. Did you not just see what was happening right here? This guy cannot throw. He cannot pitch. Why are you even trying to swing on the first pitch, no less? That was pretty ridiculous. So big L for our boy Bobby Wood Jr. Big L for BWJ. And then Salvi strikes out on four pitches, which is, uh... I mean, mean, we know Salvi's going to swing no matter what, but... Still, little. I'm a little more disappointed in Bobby Witt Jr., but so unfortunate that we only got a couple of runs out of what was a pretty terrible inning by that pitcher, by uh, Matt Manning, I think it was. Uh, yeah, although it was nice to see Salvi at the very least because Salvi actually got hit by a pitch on Friday, and it was looking kind of bad, but he was just like, nah, I'm good. Uh, he was out on Saturday, just took the day off, or rather the night off, but then he came back on Sunday, so at least Salvi didn't get injured, and, you know, even if he didn't have a good game on Sunday, it was nice that he played on Sunday, I guess. I, I kind of maybe would have preferred if he was out for another day or something like that, but eh, whatever, who cares. But later on in that game, seventh inning, uh, Bobby and Salvi immediately record a couple outs. Bobby immediately pops out on the first pitch, just like he did earlier. Salvi strikes out, this time on three pitches as opposed to four. But then, Nick Prado draws a walk, so good for him. And he also got a couple foul tips, so yeah, no swings and misses there. Michael A. Taylor singles. Awesome. Michael Massey gets hit by a pitch uh, uh, again. Uh, Good job, question mark. And then, we got Hunter Dozier up. He flies out to center field. Thanks, Hunter Dozier. <laughs> ah, good old, good old, uh, common Hunter Dozier L. But back to Bobby. Uh, even though I'm actually kind of picking on Bobby in, for this game a lot, he he had a decent game. He he actually had a really nice game. He went two for four with a walk. So yeah, the same game where I'm complaining about him just lining out or flying out on the first pitch. Yeah, he actually drew a walk in this game. And got two hits, so yeah, overall he had a decent game, plus he had a really, really cool defensive highlight where a hitter lines a ball off of Colin Snyder's foot, like Snyder kicks it upwards, then Bobby chases it 
into the infield, grabs it with his bare hand, and then throws it to first. Really awesome, flashy play that was uh, just showed some nice awareness and some nice coordination right there. It shows that Bobby does have some skills at shortstop, and I'm not entirely ready to count him out as a defensive shortstop, but that was a really cool play in that moment. And again, Bobby just had an overall solid game. He was actually responsible for the winning run. He doubled in the eighth inning and scored uh, someone. It was MJ who he, who he scored. So he drove in the winning run overall. Royals win 3-2, and Royals win the series 2-1. So that's a nice way to end the weekend and come back home to Kansas City. So before we talk about the Guardians series that's coming up, and actually I'm not really going to talk about the Guardians series at all because it's like, whatever. We're going to play the Guardians again. Yay. I want to mention something about Bobby Witt Jr. Just because we're, um, you know, he entered the 2020 club and it's nice and fun and exciting. And there are some people who, I don't know, have some hope that he could maybe still make a case for Rookie of the Year in this season. And um, I'm really not in that boat, honestly. I don't think Bobby is going to be Rookie of the Year. I don't even think he's going to be top three for Rookie of the Year. I think that, number one, actually, I mean, you could really make an argument for either J-Rod or Adley. I'm going to go Adley just because he has provided so much for that team I would give him I would give him rookie of the year and then J-Rod number two and then number three is actually Stephen Kwan who's uh you know on that Guardians team that we're about to face Stephen Kwan is, is having a really really good season then after that I might put Bobby Witt Jr. at number four I think he's about on the level of uh Jeremy Pena, who was someone who was having like a really, really great start to the season, then he like he cooled off significantly. But he is a really good defensive shortstop. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where Bobby Wood Jr. is at. He's not. I don't even think he's really close to Rookie of the Year. And some people have kind of expressed some disappointment with that because going into this season, we knew Bobby was coming up. We knew he was going to be on the opening day roster, and he was the number one prospect in baseball, although not unanimously, but that's fine. And, yeah, we were really hoping we could see a rookie of the year season from him. Doesn't look like it's happening, but here's the thing, guys. It doesn't really matter that much. Like, honestly, I don't know if this is a hot take from me, and you're welcome to treat it as one if it is, but I don't think Rookie of the, Ma- rookie of the Year really matters that much. Like, it's really not that important of an award. It doesn't actually indicate whether or not a player is going to have a good career overall. Because you know who the last Rookie of the Year was for the Royals? It was Angel Barroa, who was nobody. (laughs) Like, freaking nobody. And even back then, some people were kind of, like, wondering if that was actually uh, the the right winner for the award, because that was the year Hideki Matsui debuted. But, uh, yeah, that was our last Rookie of the Year. It doesn't actually matter that much. I mean, it's cool if you win it. I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter at all and that, you know, we shouldn't think about Rookie of the Year whatsoever. Because if Bobby won it, I would be jumping up and down. It would be awesome. It would be, I would be over the moon for that. But it's a flex award. It really doesn't matter that much. It's basically just a flex. 
Who cares if Bobby Witt Jr. misses out on Rookie of the Year this season if he wins an MVP down the line? I would much rather see that happen. I mean, he, he, he could have won both, and that would be great. Sure, I get that, totally. But I'm just saying, Rookie of the Year really doesn't matter all that much. And this is kind of um where I bring up expectations again, because some people are even saying they're disappointed overall with Bobby Wood Jr., but I think that you you can only really be disappointed with Bobby when you look at some other rookies. Like, I get it. It's maybe a little sad to see J-Rod and Adley Rutschman just contribute immediately to a playoff-caliber team, right? And we really wanted that to happen with Bobby Wood Jr., and we're not getting it. I understand. It's a little bit sad, but think about it this way. Bobby Wood Jr. still has so much left ahead of him, and he's not even having a bad season. Maybe defensively it's not all that great, but you still see him make some really great plays from time to time, like on Sunday. But the bat, like, it's still there, and you're still seeing some really, really great things come out of that. Again, a 2020 season. You don't just stumble upon that achievement by accident. And like I was saying earlier, it doesn't even seem like it was that hard for him to do. I think that he is capable of a 30-30 season. Maybe, maybe a 40-40 season. I mean, that that is something that would be really difficult. But I don't think it's impossible for him. How many players, think about this, how many players out there ever do you, can you say have 40-40 potential in the future? How many players can you even think about accomplishing that? The fact that you can think, that you can kind of see it uh, be, being a possibility for Bobby Wood Jr., I think just speaks volumes about how much potential he has as a hitter. And that is absolutely not lost. He's still hitting 250 on the season, and the power is absolutely there. I think that... Bobby is just some swing decisions away from really exploding as a premium hitter. He's just a little bit swing happy. And discipline is something that it it just has to be learned a little bit. It just has to be taught a little bit. And I think that he is capable of of learning. Basically, uh, expectations, once again. I said back at the beginning of the season, my expectation for Bobby Wood Jr., is that I want him to basically recreate his rookie ball slash line. Back in 2019, like right after he was drafted, Bobby uh, finished 2019. He only played about 40 games, but he hit 262 with a 317 on base and a 354 slugging. Okay? And so far this season, he's hitting 250 with a 291 on base, which is, you know, those two are lower. But then 446 slugging, which is way higher. Overall, a, a 737 OPS, which is pretty much around league average. Think about that. He's league average already, despite however many struggles you think he might have had. And as a 22-year-old, I said if Bobby Wood Jr. has a two-war season, that's going to be good for the Royals. And guess what? He's had a he's having a two-war season. You might you can look at baseball reference and say actually it's like 0.8. Go on Fangrass. It's two war, okay? <laughs> and what more do you really want from someone's 
first season. I get it. It's not as cool as J-Rod. It's not as fun and flashy and exciting as Adley or anything like that. But I I really think that if you're disappointed in Bobby Wood Jr. this season, your expectations were simply too high. And even then, I understand having super high expectations because it's been rough for Royals fans for the last several years, basically since 2015. We haven't had a lot to look forward to. So, having something to look forward to, we're really looking forward to this. But just give it some time. Let him develop a little further. Let him struggle a little bit. And then he'll take some steps forward. And I really do think that in the not-so-distant future, we're going to see some incredible seasons from Bobby Witt Jr. And they're going to be in Kansas City. Uh, another thing that people have been complaining about is that this front office just can't do anything, so they're going to waste Bobby Wood Jr. He's going to be out of Kansas City in six years. I don't know why people are actually cynical about that, because if anything, the one thing the Royals have done is extend players, for better or for worse. I mean, what's the biggest issue everybody has right now this season in terms of players on the roster? It's Hunter Dozier and his contract extension that he absolutely did not need to get. We're stuck with Hunter Dozier for two more years because the front office loves giving out extensions to their guys. And why would they not do that for Bobby Wood Jr.? Again, let me let, let me ask you this. When was the last time we had a super fan-favorited player not extended by the Royals? Because under Dayton Moore... The Royals extended Zach Greinke. Sure, he got traded later on, but they, they tried. They extended Alex Gordon and then brought him back with free agency. They extended Salvador Perez three times, mind you. They gave him the, the like, god-awful seven-year, 60-cents <laughs> extension in, like, 2012. But then they, you know, ripped it up after 2015 and gave him a proper extension for there. And then, and then... Before 2021 even ended, before that extension even ended, they gave him another one, which, again, they did not have to do, but it's actually really good that they did it because (laughs) somehow they ended up underpaying him. Remember when everyone was, like, laughing at the Royals, like, why they give Salvador Perez $80 million? And then he goes out and hits 48 home runs. Yeah, um, again, they, they somehow underpaid him. Again, how do they keep doing it? They can't keep getting away with this. I guess that's uh, the why Hunter Dozier is overpaid now. It balances out. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be, or whatever. And also, Danny Duffy. After 2016, people were really, really excited about Danny Duffy. There are people who are revisionists nowadays and were like, oh, Danny Duffy was never good. Oh, he, he didn't deserve that extension. B.S. I was there in 2016. I watched every game. I was listening to what everyone was saying. People were really excited about Danny Duffy in 2016, so the Royals extended him. Sure, they let Hosmer go, but they tried bringing him back, and would it have been worth it? Do you, do you, look at Eric Hosmer right now, do you want that for the next three years? Because that's what we could have had. (laughs) Instead, uh, I kind of like where we are right now. And Lorenzo Cain, they let him go as well. But think about this. That was in a time when we had Danny 
yeah, well, we did have dating war, but I meant David Glass, who was super stingy about money, and the reason why we couldn't bring back basically anyone from that 2017 Nexus, actually, that's not true, we brought back, <laughs> we brought back Alcides Escobar, yay! Um, and we did technically bring back Moose, but on a one-year deal. But in that era, you know, David Glass was a very greedy owner who just complained all the time about how the Royals were losing money, how how the Royals had actually lost money after 2015 and they continued losing money in 2016 and 2017. So that's why 2018 payroll cuts everywhere. So that's why we couldn't really bring back Eric Hosmer or Lorenzo Cain. I think that's a completely different circumstance than current day when the Royals have like $30 million on their payroll overall. I think that when the time comes, they're going to extend Bobby Wood Jr. I don't know why there is this sentimentality that the Royals just are somehow going to mess this up. All right, I get it. The Royals have messed a lot of things up, but they haven't messed up contract extensions, at least to the people that we want to be extended. So lighten up a little bit. I think when the time comes, Bobby Wood Jr. will get an extension. It doesn't need to be right now, though. That's another thing is that people have been saying, like, oh, we they, they just extended J-Rod for, for 10 million years. We need to do that for Bobby Wood Jr. No, we don't. We're also, compl like, you don't even know if Bobby Wood Jr. is, you're, you're the one saying that Bobby Wood Jr. shouldn't even be playing shortstop. Let's figure out where he's going to play long term before we actually give him an extension. So that was uh, just a little bit of a rant about that. And again, also, let me just say, closing thought, if you're still disappointed with Bobby Wood Jr., let me just remind you that it could have been a whole lot worse. How much worse? Well, look at the Tigers. Their guy, Spencer Torkelson, who was drafted number one overall. And let me, let me put this into perspective. Not only was he drafted number one overall, but this is someone who can't play a position. Like, maybe he'll play first base long term. But he is a bat-first guy. But his bat was considered to be so great. He was said to be such, an, such a fantastic hitting prospect that despite not playing a position, he was ranked just about as high as Bobby Wood Jr. Like, there was basically the top tier of prospects, which is Adley, J-Rod, and Bobby Wood Jr. You could have either any of these guys in any order, just as long as they're in the top three. But then right below that... Spencer Torkelson existed in that tier. He could be a, your number four prospect going into this season. Just because he hits so well. He's hitting 193. He has been awful this season. And they mentioned on the Royals broadcast that he's had a trouble with high velocity. Like, he's actually really struggled against fastballs that are like 95 miles an hour or higher. Which seems like a... a horrifying problem to have in today's league where it seems like the norm is 95 mile an hour fastballs. I don't know how such a promising hitting prospect can such ha can have such a huge problem. I don't know if that's a new thing or something they're working on. Not my problem, but again, let me just remind you. That could have been Bobby Wood Jr. <laughs> so are you are you still super disappointed that Bobby Wood Jr has only been an acceptably good player? Personally, I'll take that. I'm happy with Bobby Wood Jr. because I think that the best is yet to come. And the best is so much better than what he's done this season. Hopefully, it'll come sooner rather than later. But whenever it happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. For now, 
that's going to do it for me. You can contact me at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter or contact me via email at Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. Give some direct feedback on the show or whatever it is you want to say to me. Say to my face, but virtually. And thank you for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for making this podcast a part of your day. And I hope you're having a good one. I'm Lux, and I'll see you on Wednesday. Until then, go Royals.